This is episode 66 of Ethics and Culture Cast from the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. Episode 66 of Ethics and Culture Cast from Notre Dame's DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture. I'm Ken Hellenius, the communications specialist at the center. In this episode, recorded at the New York Encounter, we chat with Daniel Lipinski, former U.S. Representative for the 3rd Congressional District in Illinois. We chat about his journey from engineering to the House floor the role of compromise in American politics, and how faithful Catholics can and should contribute to the common good through participation in political life. Let's sit down together for this delightful conversation. Well, Congressman Dan Lipinski, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, it's good to be with you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? What did you study? Kind of those sorts of things. Well, I grew up on the southwest side of Chicago, right by Midway Airport. Uh, went to uh, Catholic schools for, for 12 years, at Ignatius College Prep Jesuit High School. Uh, after that, uh, went to Northwestern, have a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering. After that, master's degree in engineering economic systems from Stanford after a sojourn uh, working for Swiss Air in Switzerland for a little while. I came back and I went to Duke and got my PhD in political science. And from there, I taught a year at University of Notre Dame and then three years at University of Tennessee before I moved back to the Chicago area and ran for Congress. So why from engineering to political science? I mean, how many hours do we have for this? <laughs> because I always loved government politics more than anything else. Uh, I was a very practical-minded person and thought, I'm going to college. Uh, my parents are paying all this money. I should get a degree that's worth something. Mm-hmm. I was good at, I love physics and math. And I was, I was very good at engineering. I love problem solving. And that, that, that was enjoyable. Uh, was the the engineering problem solving in class? I never really wanted to be an engineer because I didn't think that was the life that I that I wanted. I thought then maybe maybe economics took a lot of economics. Went to Stanford, got that master's degree, but somewhere along the way, I decided I wanted to teach, and thought if I'm gonna if I'm gonna teach, if this is gonna be what I'm teaching, researching, I want it to be what I really love, which is government politics. So. That's why I went into political science. Okay. Well, then you served eight terms as uh, in Congress as the representative for the Illinois 3rd Congressional District as a member of the Democratic Party. What are some of your most cherished memories of, or you know, highlights of your time in Congress? Did you like it? I, I loved being able to represent my, my constituents. My father was in politics, was served in Congress for 22 years. Before that, he was in the Chicago City Council. And he always, I I learned from him that being an elected official, you're there to help people. And and whether it's passing a law or helping someone individually. And I always thought that uh, that's what I'm there to do. I I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed being able to to make a difference. Um, You know, it's always more that you want to be able to do. 
Uh, but I, I, I really enjoyed that part of it, representing my, my constituents. And, you know, things that, that stand out, you know, from my, my 16 years, uh, I was able to go as part of the congressional delegation, both for the installation of Pope Benedict and also for, for Pope Francis. I was able to be part of the congressional delegation for, for each of those. And, and those were just incredible experiences to be, to be part of that. Yeah, wow. Representing not just your district, but representing America. Yes. That's fantastic. Well, how did you first connect with the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture? Because you've, you've spoken at events for us, but how did you first get connected? I always say my memory's not, not great, and I'm not going to turn to my wife behind me, Judy, uh, to give me the answer to that, though she probably has it. I think I was first, I was invited to the Vitae Award. The Evangelium Vitae Medal? Yes, I, I, I was invited to that. I think that was the first event that I, I went to. Or it, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I met Carter Sneed at an event in Washington, D.C. I think it was the Napa Institute, a Napa Institute event probably, and I, I, I met Carter, and I remember talking to him at, uh, at the time, and that was my, uh, my introduction. And I think then everything else followed from there. It's all about relationship. Yes. Well, now, you presented a talk at the DCEC's 2021 fall conference in which you reflected on the political and social environment that we face in our country. It's a situation of extreme division or, as you described it, uh, political sectarianism. You spoke about how your faith was and is the touchstone of your legislative work in many ways, uh, such that a constituent even told you, quote, you vote Catholic. Ultimately, your pro-life convictions led to you being narrowly voted out of office by activists within your own Democratic Party. Is there a place for Catholics in political service, either within the, you know, basically two-party system that has been the de facto standard in America for many, many years now? Well, it's, it's very difficult. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of Catholics who want to get involved in politics decide that they, they have to conform themselves to the beliefs of whichever party they, they choose. And it's tough. In, in, in this country, we, we have two major political parties. But I think as Catholics, we need to be involved in, in, in politics. We, we need to change. We need to work to change the parties, to you know, work in both of them, to bring them more to a fully Catholic uh, understanding of, of the human person and policies that, uh, th that support that. And so I, I would never say that uh, because Catholics, you know, because both sides, you know, n neither side really is, you know, well, there's problems on both sides, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, for a Catholic. But if we completely withdraw, then we are, we are giving in. We are ceding uh, the field to others who have very different, very different views. Yeah. There are problems on both sides, absolutely, within, within this. You know, there's no natural home for Catholics. And yet, what you're saying is our home actually has to be there in, in maybe a temporary home, right? This is our temporary home on our pilgrim journey. Our home is heaven. But... Uh, we need to, to be uh, and to work to, to build the kingdom as much as we can here, right? Yes, and, and the most important thing is to be Catholic first. 
and, and that's the, the big issue that, uh, that I see today uh, is Catholics who decide, okay, well, I want to be involved in politics. Uh, they choose a party, and then they conform themselves to all the beliefs of, of that party. And we cannot do that. We need to be Catholic first, not just when it comes to politics, but in our entire lives. And that should be what is really the, the, the most important uh, guide to dis all decisions that, uh, that we make. Kind of that idea of conforming to the party is getting at what you described as sectarianism within within politics these days. Well, a lot of people talk about the divide as being tribal, but it's really sectarian. If you look at the definition of, of uh, sectarianism, you, know, you have two groups that have a, a set of beliefs. If you step out of line, you're considered a, a, a heretic. Uh, and, and the two sects are held together more by hatred of the other side than of love of those who are who are in the group yeah well now you've spoken often about the importance of compromise within politics in your fall conference talk you spoke about james madison describing you know the importance of compromise within within the very structure of the constitution and within uh, kind of our lawmaking process uh, and even earlier today uh, here at, in your panel discussion at uh, the new york experience you mentioned that one of the things you admired about Ronald Reagan was that he was always willing to listen to the other and to compromise. Um, how does one weigh the relative benefits and costs of any particular piece of legislation and decide where uh, he can compromise as a, as a politician in service to the common good and to the greater good and yet remain authentic and true to one's convictions? Well, the principles that a person holds, principles I hold, I, I, I'm not going to give up. I'm, for example, being pro-life, you know, I believe that all babies in the womb should be protected. Uh, and when, as I always talk about, well, I exceptions to that. And I always say, you know, the, the, the toughest one is the rape and incest exception. Mm -hmm. and, and I say, if you truly believe that that's a human life, uh, rape and incest are just horrible, horrible crimes. And uh, you know, those experiences of, of those women um, are incredibly horrible. But the, that is a child in, in the womb. Now, I will, there's, there's nothing I've ever voted for that didn't have those exceptions in it. And, and I, I sort of see, you know, Yes, I'm pro-life, but I will advance, vote to advance policies that protect just one more, one more child. And to me, that that that's a compromise. I'm not saying, well, it's all it's all or nothing. Uh, so even even on that issue, uh, I believe it, there are compromises you need to make. We we live in a democracy, and we we need to somehow come to come to agreements. In general. There are way too many issues that are not principles. To, a lot of stances that uh, politicians take in both parties, they're not really principles. They're just things that, you know, something that they, they believe, uh, and they will not compromise off of that at all. It, it's I want it all or, or nothing. Mm -hmm. And certainly I saw that 
a lot. I mean, I, I, had, I had discussions with some Republican colleagues of mine, who, and, and I would say, you know, you're opposing this legislation, but because you're opposing it, in the end, you're going to wind up getting something even worse. So policy is going to move further away from what you want. And they would say, well, but I can't, I can't support this, this legislation as it is. And so there, to me, that's, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. To me, you're in a legislature. You're, you're making laws. You're trying to make laws. You want to move policy in the direction you want it to go. You can't expect to get everything that, that you want. Yeah, I mentioned, you know, we're here together at the New York Experience, which is uh, uh, a three-day, it's more than a conference, it's a cultural experience, there are presentations all across the spectrum, the, the theme is this urge for truth, which in many ways kind of um, speaks to the idea of relativism and my truth and your truth, is there such a thing as, as a truth, as the truth? But uh, how did you get connected with, uh, with this event and how, how did you get connected with, uh, with Communion and Liberation, and, uh, which is the sponsoring group? Well, yeah, this is a very different uh, event uh, than I've been involved in uh, previously. I, as someone said to me, it's very European. Uh, it's uh, not something you usually see here in in America. This this real mix of uh, of different cultural events and also what traditionally you know speaking events like the one I uh, engaged in. Um, so yeah, I was asked that question earlier. How did you get involved? I, I was invited, uh, and. Um, I really like the the theme. It really fits with what I've been talking about, about the sectarian divide, and you know, a big part of that is the the truth and acknowledging that there really is a, a truth. There's not two different truths. Uh, but I didn't know who who did this event, and, and then I did I dug a little deeper and found out that it was uh, communion and liberation. And actually, it takes me back to Notre Dame. The year that I taught at Notre Dame, uh, I had a friend of mine there, Bill DeMar, who was also teaching there on a, um, a talk there that year. And Bill and uh, his wife, Therese, were members of Communion Liberation. So I attended some events there at the time. But since then, I didn't have any other connection uh, to, to CNL. But uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful to, to be here in, in a short time I've been here. The people who I've been exposed to already and the conversations I've had uh, has uh, you know, really been extremely worthwhile. Well, now, yesterday, being here in New York City, I had the chance to visit an art exhibit featuring pieces by uh, Hans Holbein the Younger, who was court painter to Henry VIII, and it included the famous portrait of Sir Thomas More, uh, who, though he was the chief minister to King Henry VIII, ultimately suffered martyrdom for his insistence on remaining in communion with the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. As he said, quote, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. Now, closer to home, another famous Chicagoan, the late Francis Cardinal George, once said, quote, I expect to die in bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. These aren't exactly happy images, 
I mean, one, one could say that they're actually kind of terrifying. Yet your message, and really the message of both of these men too, is that ultimately the solution to our broken system lies in Catholics being and acting authentically Catholic. How do we do that? Well, first let, let's go back to in, in, in our country, in, in our culture, uh, the idea of you know, losing is the worst possible thing, losing in the eyes of the world. And I lost uh, my primary election in, in 2020, um, largely because I was, I was pro-life in the Democratic Party. But we have to go back and look. Jesus Christ was the biggest possible loser in his day. He was crucified. Uh, that was the worst possible thing that can be done to a person, uh, just not just physically, but the whole, the whole spectacle of it. Uh, yet we know what that, that means. We are all called uh, to make sacrifices, and sometimes we will lose in the eyes of the world, but witness is more important, and witness is really what we all need to do. Uh, go back to St. Thomas More, and sometime in the 1920s, G.K. Chesterton said, Thomas More is you know, important today, but 100 years from now, he'll be even more important. And look, here we are, he certainly is. His, his witness, you know, he gave up, first he gave up a tremendous amount of power. You know, he was chancellor of England, which was the highest position um, below the king. He gave that up and then he gave up his life because he would not, he would not say that the king was the head of the church in England. He's willing to give all that up was executed, but we still talk about him today. And he's still an inspiration uh, to so many people today. Uh, I think that's important for us to understand. We also have to have a long-term view. Um, we, don't, we know the end of the story. We have no idea when that story is going to end. We have no idea how we're going to get there. Uh, but again, and it goes to the Cardinal George quote, uh, he saw things getting more and more difficult to be a faithful Catholic in, in, in this country. Uh, but he also, the part of the quote that um, you did not give, most people don't usually use it, is after the, uh, the execution of you know, the man who follows him, um, eventually, is going to be a rebirth, a great rebirth of, of the faith. And so we have to understand that, and we all play our, our role. But it's a hard, hard thing in, in this culture, in, in, in this country. It's especially hard in politics. No one wants to lose. I didn't want to lose. But I'm hopeful that my, my witness uh, will really encourage others. And we, we all need to be encouraging one another. It's so important to have, uh, have friends, have 
who you you share your your faith with uh, and support each other. I, I certainly found that in my last two last two campaigns uh, is that people did step forward because they saw me as someone standing for something. And since then, we've become good friends. I'm still good friends with uh, a number of people from that experience, and, and we all support each other in our in, in our faith. And I think that's. Uh, Incredibly important, especially as Catholics, we, we understand the importance of, of, of community. But if the culture is ever going to change, we need to have more witnesses. And I, as I always tell people, you never understand how many people, other people that you influence. Um, I, we all have a hard time accepting that. I didn't, I never really looked at my time in, in Congress while I was there. I, di I didn't think that I was, that people were looking to me for anything except, well, my constituents are looking for me to, to, to represent them and, and, and to do that well. And then when I had a really tough campaign in, in 2018, mostly based on the fact that I was pro-life and people who would come up to me and thank me for standing firm, thanking me for, for, for my witness. Uh, and not backing down. I realize that there are a lot more people who are looking at me serving as a faithful Catholic, uh, and that, is, that means something to them. It helps them in some way. And, and, you know, a lot of people listening to this probably think, well, you're a member of Congress. I thought, well, yeah, but I, I thought, I'm, I'm, doing a, a, I'm doing a job. It's a very important job. But I didn't see myself as anything greater than that. I really didn't appreciate the, the witness uh, that I was giving. And I think we all uh, are giving a witness, whether it's for good or for, for ill. Uh, and we need, to, we need to understand that. And uh, it should hopefully motivate us to, uh, to provide a, a real, strong, good, faithful Catholic witness. Well, now, what's next for you? What are you working on? Well, right now, I'm working on a book. I, I, last year, I, I started on a book, but then I started writing articles. And I was getting articles published in First Things, America, Public Discourse, The Atlantic. And that sort of sidetracked me from the, the book project. Now I'm trying to focus using the, uh, the talk that I gave at the uh, DCC Fall Conference to write this book on our you know, Catholic answer, the needed Catholic answer in our divided nation. And I want to weave in some of my experiences as, as a member of Congress in that. So I'm working on, on that book, uh, various other projects like that. I'm, you know, I have a uh, consulting business, but most of my time is spent writing and, and, and speaking. Uh, uh, someday hope to land at a university or, or think tank. I, I'm having been a professor before. Um, I really enjoy working with, uh, with students, uh, and I really feel called to evangelizing young Catholics need, really need more people to work with them and, and, and share the faith and help strengthen their faith. Uh, so those are things I'm doing. I haven't completely ruled out uh, running for, for office again, uh, making no plans right now, but uh, uh, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Fantastic. Well, Congressman Dan Lipinski, thank you so much for 
for sharing these thoughts and and for uh, providing a little hope to uh, to those of us that uh, look and sometimes can lean towards despair and yet uh, there's there are signs of hope perhaps as long as we build communion among one another well if i if i can add one one more thing here i i'm i'm not an optimist i've never been an optimist um I, I, I sometimes blame it on being Polish, um, but uh, I always, you know, St. Pope John Paul II, uh, just I I incredible. Uh, what an, an incredible witness. Witness to Hope, as uh, George Weigel's book was, was titled. Um, the fact that he could go through everything that he went through in, in his life, losing his entire family before he was he was 20, living through both you know, the Nazis and the Soviet communists and everything that he went through, and he could still be the witness to hope. Uh, I, I, I think all of us who, who struggle with where we see our country, our culture today, uh, should really look to John Paul II and, and understand uh, why we need to have hope, and why, why we do have hope. And so I, I think that um, you know, sometimes we, you know, we, we, we sit here feeling sorry for ourselves, uh, but we do have the, the, the ultimate hope. Uh, in, so I, I think that's something that we, we all need to uh, make sure that we, we keep our eye on and, and keep our focus on. So it's great to sit down and talk with you, you Ken. It, it, uh, I've um, come all the way to New York City to, to see you. Uh, it's, a, it's a little further than my hour and 45 minute drive from uh, my house in the Chicago area to, to Notre Dame, but uh, it's great to see you and be with you. Indeed, thank you so much. Thank you to Congressman Lipinski. In the show notes, you will find links to his panel discussion at the New York Encounter, to his talk at the 2021 DCEC Fall Conference and to several of his published essays. Thank you to our hosts at the 2022 New York Encounter, sponsored by the lay Catholic movement Communion and Liberation. Learn more about the Encounter and CL in the show notes and at clonline.org. Subscribe to Ethics and Culture Cast so that you can always get the latest episodes by visiting ethicscenter.nd.edu slash podcast. We would love your feedback. Please review the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, and email your suggestions to cecpodcast at nd.edu. Our theme music is I Don't Know by Grapes, licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. We'll see you next time on Ethics and Culture Cast. Until then, make good decisions. <laughs> <laughs>